There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg Kraminski and Colin Andrews. And Greg, last week, we looked at scary events from past Octobers. I don't think it was the most technical episode that we've done, but it was a fun discussion. It was. Talking about things like the Mayan calendar ending and bond yields after the end of the Mayan calendar and what would be the point. But today we're pleased to welcome a special guest to the show. Now, this guest has been featured on things like CNN Money, U.S. News, the Chicago Tribune, NBC News, Yahoo Finance, and now, Greg, now the pinnacle of his career, the CM Group Free Lunch Podcast. Very few have reached that pinnacle. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Today, we welcome David Rosell to the show. David, welcome to the Free Lunch Podcast. Colin, Greg, great to be here with you. Well, listen, David, just for the listeners, where are you joining us from today? I am just south of the border in beautiful Bend, Oregon in the Cascade Mountains. That sounds lovely. And I think that's going to tie into a little bit of what we talk about today. But tell us your story. What's your background and how did it help shape you personally and professionally? In a nutshell, I've only had two jobs my entire career and been self-employed for both of them. Started my first business at the age of 15, seal coating driveways. Not sure if you have driveway seal coating north of the border up there, but did my dad's driveway, then started doing the neighbors. And 15 years later, at the age of 30, I sold that company. We were still coating about 1,200 driveways a summer. Wow. Beautiful thing was we had to shut down operations due to mother nature and temperatures in the wintertime. So I would just travel the globe with my backpack. I was one of those few Americans that did not put a Canadian flag on the back of my pack. Okay. <laughs> we won't hold that against you, but okay. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I learned through that business about retirement planning. I was making some good money in my youth. I had some wonderful financial lessons from both my grandmother and my father. We set up our versions of retirement plans, the IRAs and Roth IRAs down here, and just started reading books on finance and investing. And a lot of friends and family members started coming to me asking me for financial advice. And I said, I think my next calling is becoming a planner. 20 years ago, got the licensing down here, worked for a large insurance company for the first seven years, learned about planning, got my credentials, and we've had an independent firm here in Bend, Oregon ever since. Well, and tell us a little bit about you're an adventurer, and I think we're going to hear from you how that helped shape some of your views on retirement and planning and that kind of thing. So tell us a bit about the adventurer side of you. One of the serendipitous things that happened is with this driveway paving company, it gave me the ability based on time and having some financial resources to just take off. So I started off going to Australia and New Zealand, which were the safe places to go because they spoke English down there and spent six months down there and came back and seal coated more driveways and then met people down there that were coming down from Southeast Asia. And I was like, you could backpack through Asia? 
And so the next six months, I was living with mom and dad at the time still. I was in my very young 20s and spent six months off traveling through that part of the world and just really amazed, loved meeting people that were different from my hometown and different languages and food and cultures. And 10 years after college, I'd spent a month in 65 countries around the world, and it really helped shape who I am today. Wow. And climbing, I think, is one of your passions. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I first got into it when I was in Nepal. Some of the listeners out there have probably heard of the Annapurna Circuit, but it's a 21-day self-guided trek on the airplane through Pakistan over to Kathmandu. Sitting next to me was another Westerner, a gentleman named Ashley from Stratford-upon-Avon, England. And interestingly enough, he was planning on doing the same trek. The two of us completed this together, formed an amazing friendship. And what I do today is really mesh two of my passions in life. A lot of people think reading about finance is quite boring. What I've done over the years is started writing books that start each chapter with one of my more riveting travel stories that then lead into a financial lesson specifically for people who are at or near retirement. Yeah. Tell us about those books you've written. There's two that I'm aware of, Failure is Not an Option and Keep Climbing. What's the premise of these books? What's the storyline? What's the punchline that you would tell listeners? Here's the punchline. So the premise of Failure is Not an Option, Creating Certainty in the Uncertainty of Retirement, starts off by sharing the story of what it was like spending 21 days trekking through the Himalayas. And then years later, I had an opportunity to meet a gentleman named Ed Beasters. And Ed is pretty well known up in Canada as well. I'm thinking he probably is the best mountaineer ever to walk the planet Earth. He's the only human that has summited Everest seven times successfully and did so without supplemental oxygen. Matter of fact, he climbed all 14 8,000 meter peaks in the world also without supplemental oxygen. And I'll never forget that aha moment when he said, David, he says, do you know what our goal is? Most people think our goal when we leave base camp is to get to the top. And I said, of course. And he says, that's never the goal of an experienced mountaineer. He said, you see, 80% of the accidents and 80% of the deaths happen on the descent because that's when you're facing lack of sunlight and fatigue and hunger. And we all know that just descending is harder on the body, more arduous than the climb up. And he said, our goal is yes, to summit, but get back down alive to our friends and family. It's the second half of our journey that takes the most amount of planning and also takes on the most amount of risk. And when I heard that, that's when the light bulbs came off. And I said, this is the premise for the book. Because they say we all have a book inside of us. And I realized that as people are accumulating or climbing their financial mountain, and then they get to the pinnacle. And when they do so, it's the last day that they're funding their retirement accounts. And it's the first day that they're going to start living off of them for the rest of their life, which could be three, sometimes four decades. And so I believe that it's the second half of our financial journey that also takes on the most amount of risk. And needs the most amount of planning. And this is what you both are so good at doing. Right on. And the second book is more geared towards a millennial group is how I took it. Can you tell us how that came to be and what it means? Yeah. The name of that book is Keep Climbing, A Millennial's Guide to Financial Planning. 
And even though millennials aren't the sweet spot of our practice, our focus is really on the distribution of wealth. A lot of our clients, a lot of readers started saying to me, we need a book for our children and grandchildren that's on finance and teaches them the lessons, but is also fun to read like your first book. So that was a time where I realized, I think I'm going to write a book for millennials, teach them the financial lessons that they don't teach us in school, the power of compound interest, the law of 72, that you don't need to do anything extraordinary to accumulate wealth. You just need to do some ordinary things extraordinarily well and make a book that's palatable for this age group. Yeah, that makes sense. I'll tell you, I went to my kid's school, their high school, a few years ago and presented to a group of grade 10 students on how the stock market works and what it is and that sort of thing. The presentation was in the library. And what I found is by the end of the presentation, all the teachers were listening too. So it was kind of fun to watch the kids learn as well as the teachers get a a few tidbits along the way. So I can appreciate what you wrote there. Greg, you got any questions? Well, yeah, I'm just thinking you've talked about how sort of like the descent from the peak is the riskiest part in the mountain climbing expedition. So what do you see as the big risks in the second phase, the retirement phase of people's lifestyles and life cycles? Oh, well, in the book, I share the eight main risks that we face in the second half of the financial journey. One of them is pretty simple. It's longevity. We're retiring earlier and living longer and longer. I was recently down at my aunt's assisted living facility down in Boca Raton, Florida. I was down there. And as soon as I walked in the lobby, she shared with me a picture in the lobby that had a hundred over it with seven photographs. And they were her friends. And she said, these are my friends that recently turned a hundred years of age. Wow. It's amazing. A matter of fact, Hallmark greeting cards sold 75,000 centenarian cards, hundredth birthday cards last year. (laughs) It's not something crazy. They say it's the fastest growing segment of our population percentage-wise. But another one is something that we're all facing here in North America and will continue to face over the next several years, and that's inflation. Inflation averages between, say, 3 and 4%. When inflation hits its average, everything comes back to averages, the cost of living doubles every 20 years, as you know. You got a 40-year-old who says, yeah, I want to retire at age 60 on $100,000 after tax of today's dollars. We know that they need $200,000 coming out of that same account when they're 60. In these days, retirees are trading in their rocking chairs for stand-up paddle boards. And now they're 80 years young. Well, inflation doubling has taken over again. And by the time you're 80, you're going to need $400,000 to buy what $100,000 bought when you were 40. And if you live to be the age of my aunt's seven friends down in Florida in the assisted living facility, it's crazy. But we know that you have to double that 400,000 to 800,000. Real quick story. Recently, I was speaking to a group of dentists. They're an interesting group. My father was a dentist. And this dentist probably had a bad experience with someone like the three of us, a financial advisor, a wealth manager and said, you know what? You're just trying to spread fear. This is BS. 100, then you're going to need 200, 400, and I'm going to need $800,000 by the time I'm 100 to buy what $100,000 buys today. And I took a deep breath and I said, doctor, I would bet everything I own 
that you spent more money on your last automobile than your parents spent on their first home. Yeah, that makes sense. How much did your parents spend on their first home? $11,500. Exactly. eleven. Yep. Wait, is that Canadian or <laughs> that was Canadian? They had a mortgage payment of $25 a month. So let me get this right. 11000 <laughs> Eleven thousand five hundred Canadian dollars. That's equal to about five hundred U.S. dollars. Exactly. Exactly. Give or take. <laughs> yeah, you bet. I assume that you spent more than eleven thousand five hundred on your last car. I did. Multiples, of course. <laughs> it's good to see that you're not driving that 1986 Chevy Impala station wagon anymore. That's right. <laughs> Traded it in last year. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you a follow-up to that question about coming down off the peak of the mountain and that being the most dangerous part. What do you say to people right now where the markets are, they're at those peaks, they're at all-time highs, and we always get questions that basically come back to timing questions, like however they're framed. But what do you say to people that are trying to time the markets based on the peak of the market right now in your practice? It goes back to the old adage that it's not timing the markets because when you time the markets, you have to be lucky twice. You got to be lucky. It's easy to say, oh, we're near a high, let's get out. But you got to be lucky when to get back in. And when the markets drop, but you still don't have confidence and you only buy back in when they've come back up to hit a new all-time high, we've seen this all again and again and again. So it's time in the markets, not timing the markets. Every wealth management group has their own way of doing it. And that's the beautiful thing. There's many ways to make the ragu. But in our practice, we're firm believers in looking at clients' core expenses, the necessities that they have in life, food, shelter, clothing, taxes, transportation, insurance, the things we can't do without. And between the pension that we get from the government and some personal pensions that you're able to set up for your clients, We're firm believers that the core expenses, not the joy expenses, but these necessities should be guaranteed for life. And this way, we don't have to be flustered about timing the markets, whether there's a trade war with China or a nuclear war with North Korea, or if there's a global pandemic, let's say. That'll never happen. No. (laughs) That would never, not in our lifetime. Let's get real, okay? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my quick answer to your very good question. Excellent. Well, you had talked about a number of risks. You've mentioned inflation, longevity. What are some of the other risks that you see in retirement and how do you mitigate those? Yeah, another big one is sequence of returns risk. This is a risk that the three of us know that most people have never been shown. And it really only comes into play when you're entering the distribution phase. So we all know as wealth managers, it's very easy over an extended period of time to get a set rate of return for a client. Let's say in retirement, it's a 6% rate of return. So that's a nice mixture of stocks and bonds because we know we need equities to live well and bonds or fixed income to sleep well. And it's finding that balance. But what most people are not aware of that is if you receive two to three negative years, the first two to three years that you're taking distributions, let's say the markets hypothetically went down 22% in your first year of retirement you actually need to sell 22% more shares to get that same dollar amount of income that year. And if this happens two to three years in a row, this is often something that you can never recover from. Where if someone 
received the same 6% rate of return, was in the same investments, but they started their retirement three years later where they had a few positive years to get started. Even though they're in the same investments over time, getting the same rates of return, one person may outlive their income while the other person doesn't. So there are strategies in place that you certainly do for your clients that you could share with them so you can avoid this most serious risk in that distribution phase. I remember back in the beginning of the great financial crisis, 2007, 2008, and just how would you feel if you were a new retiree, just hung it up at the end of 2007 and had to live through a year and a half of pretty negative returns in the equity markets? And that would have been very difficult. And for us, I guess it speaks to having liquidity, having a reserve of cash available to fund your lifestyle for some reasonable period of time. So you can let those equities recover without having to be selling them off at the wrong time, that kind of thing. But Greg, you called it the great financial crisis. There's nothing great about 2009 to 2011, right? I guess I should call it the global financial crisis. (laughs) We used to call it the great recession, but I guess they've changed the name. Well, let me ask you this, David. You mentioned you despise the word retirement. Why is that? Retirement comes from the Latin word retire, which means to end or be put out of use. And it makes sense because in our grandparents or great-grandparents' age, grandpa would work for the same company for his entire career. He'd receive his gold watch. And three and a half, four years later, he was no longer with us. It meant the end. Grandpa was put out of use the day he left work. And these days with your clients, when they hit the top of their financial peak, there's not a single one of your clients or our listeners out there that wants to be put out of use. These days, we're hitting the top of the financial mountain and very often have chapter three, a third of our life left. A lot of people are creating their own companies, not because they need that money, but they still want to have purpose. So rather than use the word retirement, I suggest changing our vernacular to financial independence or being financially independent. We might have a business, we might go work for someone, but we're doing it not because we're dependent on any new paychecks coming in. Well, it makes sense for a lot of our clients. And we do have a number of our clients who are reaching that point. And for all of them, as you say, I don't think they think of it as the end, hopefully. How depressing is that? Like just work (laughs) till you die. You got the gold watch to leave to your estate. Well, that's right. When you look at the word retired and you, on paper, R-E and then hyphen T-I-R-E-D, you could almost look at it and say, does that mean that you're tired again? Yeah, that's right. You're retired. Yeah, exactly. So listen, to you, what's the difference between being rich and being wealthy? I would say that we've all met people who have large wallets. They have large investment accounts. And they may have little joy in their life. They may have children that don't even communicate with them. They may have a tough time holding on to employees. I would look at a person like that and say that they are rich. They have riches, but they're not wealthy. To me, wealth comes more from the heart. The other end of it would be that we all have met people that are just scraping by financially but they have a lot of friends. They have joy in life. They attract goodness. They manifest goodness into their life, but maybe they haven't manifested money. 
I would say that person's more wealthy than the gentleman with riches. But when you find people, a lot of people like your clients who are either accumulating or have already accumulated wealth and they have good relationships in their life, they have adventure, they have joy, and you mesh those two, man alive, you got a good life. It reminds me, I read recently, and I apologize to whomever said it because I don't recall, but they said the goal is not to die rich, but to live richly. I think that's what you're saying is just live a rich life. And it's more than just dollar bills. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln said, it's not the years in your life, but it's the life in your years. And that also sums it up nicely. Right on. But his life was cut short. So that's maybe not a good example. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Colin, when we want your opinion, we'll give it to you. All right. Well, okay. Now, in all seriousness, though, of course, we all want to live a wealthy life or we would strive to live a wealthy life. But you mentioned the importance of financial planning to create such a life too. So how do you make financial planning approachable and fun to people when this can be a very ominous topic? Good point. I always like to say, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. A couple answers to that. In the books, I make financial planning fun by meshing fun stories with financial lessons. I truly believe the only thing constant in life is change. And so I think it's really important. A lot of people have these set it and forget it approaches with financial planning. You set up a plan. And if there's a major change like a death or a divorce in your life, then we'll update the plan. And I just think it's imperative on a continual basis to be updating one's plan. And when you guys are meeting with your clients, you have a way of adding levity to the conversation because money might be the most serious topic out there. People will open up probably more about their sex lives than they will their net worth in a conversation. (laughs) And you guys have such a great way of communicating with your clients, making it fun, but holding them accountable and making sure that you're staying on top of it. So eventually they are hitting their goals. Right on. Excellent. Well, Greg, what do we got? Well, I think we've taken a lot of time, David, and I think Before we get into our speed round, maybe you could just tell folks where they might find your book or your books. Up in Canada, probably the best place you can find our books, hard copy or on Audible is on Amazon. They're located in Barnes and Noble and other bookstores as well. And you can find me online at rosellwealthmanagement.com. That's R-O-S-E-L-L, wealthmanagement.com. Well, that's great. So again, your book's failure is not an option, creating certainty in the uncertainty of retirement and keep climbing a millennial's guide to financial planning. So thank you for writing those books. And here we go into the speed round. We should just mention, like you've done all the hard lifting. This is just now for fun. This is just an easy, lighthearted speed round. So feel free to answer. I'm hoping it's just yes or no questions. Well, yes or no. (laughs) We told you that at the beginning, but we lied. Oh, man alive. (laughs) We'll start off with an easy one. So what book or books are you reading right now? Right now, I am reading Gino Glickman's book called Traction, which is about the entrepreneurial operating system. And we are planning on implementing it into our practice, but it's good for any entrepreneur out there and highly recommend it if you own your own company. Sounds good. Great idea. What about shows watching? Any shows you're watching these days? Binging? Oh, man alive. I just watched the show on HBO Max 
that kept me up at night. I don't watch a lot of television, but over the weekend, there's a story, I think it's called Long Way Down. And it's a true story about this cult in Nashville, Tennessee, that says your way to heaven is by losing weight. And oh man, wow. And the people that were the heads of this cult, HBO was about to go live with it. And then their plane went into a lake in Tennessee the last day of May this year. And so they just released this series, but it's disturbing and it's taking the country by craze, I understand. Wow. I hadn't heard of that one, but that's worth looking up. (laughs) So how about some Canadian-specific questions? Now, because you mentioned that you spent some serious time in Canada and you've probably done a lot of trekking and climbing with Canadians. So what is a toque? A toque. A toque is a hat that you wear at Halloween. Oh, you're so so close. close. I thought you had it. Oh, I think I got it now. A toque is that plastic lid that goes on top of a Tim Hortons coffee cup. Okay, that's a Timmy's toque. You're right. Okay, I think you might call it a beanie in the States. If you're skiing or something, you might have something knit warm on your head, possibly with a little pom-pom on top. That's what we call a toque. Well, I have to tell you that the toque that I am wearing these days says Fernie on it in Alberta. Oh. Fantastic. Bernie's gears. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a great place. Yeah. Okay, sure cool. Is. So here's a fun one. And again, do your best. But Greg grew up in a place called Regina, Saskatchewan. I grew up in a place called Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Can you spell Saskatchewan? Yes, I can. S. No, wrong. (laughs) Good try. (laughs) Okay, Greg. Okay. Have you ever had ketchup potato chips? I've had pickled. That's pretty good. Yeah, dill pickle. Yeah, that's good. Ketchup are unique to Canada, so chances are the next time you're up skiing or something, pick up a bag and enjoy. You mentioned earlier when, before we started recording that you spent some time in Golden, Revelstoke, places like that. Stop at any local gas station and grab a bag of ketchup potato chips. They're delicious. Fantastic. Up in Quebec, don't they dip the French fries in mayonnaise instead of ketchup anyways? They do. They tend to, yeah. But we don't talk about Quebec. They're a little separate from the rest of Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Except oui, oui. what you're talking about is poutine. And Colin, I know, is a big fan of poutine, which it's not mayonnaise. It's cheese curds and gravy and and mayonnaise too and mayonnaise your friends in the nashville cult will not be partaking in poutine (laughs) if weight loss is their goal that is correct if weight loss is the way to heaven then poutine can only lead in one other direction you know the other way to heaven is cholesterol Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> there you go. Now, before we started, you said you had a couple of Canadian jokes. So I think perhaps this would be a good way to finish off the speed round. Oh, from man. your end. All right. I'm only going to use my clean ones because most okay. of them aren't clean. You Fair know. enough. What is the difference between canoes and Canadians? Wow. All right. Canoes tip. Oh, Oh, that one. That's a bad one. Yeah, that's true. But I can appreciate it. The amazing thing I find about the Canadians is, and I'm going to even throw the two of you in this, I bet you don't even know how the name Canada came about. Well, you're right. I'm assuming it's an Aboriginal name, but tell me. All right, see, for the record, 
Greg and Colin don't even know where Canada came from. Well, I'm going to tell you today, I'm going to be the Yank that informs you Canadians. I just want you to know that we can edit this, by the way, David. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> so I'm originally from upstate New York, not far from Lake Champlain and not far from Montreal, Canada. And what happened is about 280 years ago, the French Quebecois and the Native Americans were sitting around a campfire, friendly campfire. They were smoking their peace pipe and they said, we have this very large land mass. We have to come up with a name. So why don't we just start throwing out some letters and we'll have a name. So one of the Quebecois guys says, yeah, yeah, yeah. How about a C? Eh? <laughs> and the next guy says, yeah, yeah, yeah. How about an N? Eh? <laughs> okay. I know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty okay. funny. Pretty funny. <laughs> I was taking you seriously there for a minute, so, so that's good. <laughs> but now i got to go look it up, actually. I'm curious. Yeah. My high school history teachers would probably not be happy that we, don't, we can't remember. But well, anyways. sadly, we're the United States of America, but we're not too united these days. No. That's the subject for many, many podcasts, I guess, but we'll leave that to others to debate. We'll have some coconut gold for that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, David, thanks for joining us today. It was really a lot of fun having you on the show. I appreciate you taking that time. And I hope you got something out of it. We did. We got Absolutely. a couple of jokes to use. Got some good laughs out of you guys. This was great. Yeah, okay. no, Pleasure good. to be on your show. Excellent. Thanks for joining us. So listen, that was it for today. Next time, I don't know what we're going to do next time, Greg. What are we doing next time? I think we're talking about forecasting. Oh, super forecasting. That's right. We're going to talk about super forecasting and get into that. So be sure to join us for our next episode. And thanks for joining. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2021.